three, one, go. Uh, hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Soumya, do I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, you you got it right. It's called Soumya. <laughs> Soumya, yeah, great. Soumya, okay, okay cool. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Soumya is a teacher from India. She has lots of experience. She's also an environmentalist and a vegetarian, and she just has lots to tell us today, right? Yes, I do. Depends on what you're going to ask me about. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, we want to uh, warmly congratulate uh, you with uh, such an important day for you. Today is Teacher's Day. Is it international or just in India? It's uh, for the Indian teachers. Uh, uh. I believe the International Teacher's Day is on 5th of um, October, if I'm uh, not wrong. Yeah. But mm -hmm. today is in, uh, Indian Teachers Day, so I wish all the Indian teachers namaste. This is how we greet everybody in India, and in, it makes uh, quite a lot of sense since, since we don't want to give handshakes and uh, infect ourselves. Yeah. So I would say namaste to everybody listening to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so what do you teach in school? What do you specialize in? Uh, so I have done my master's in uh, microbiology, but I realized that it's not my cup of tea. So I, I'm a science teacher. I teach science to primary and middle school. Uh, and uh, to what age are the kids? Like it's up to like 19 or, or what? Uh, the kids are somewhere between the ages 9 to uh, 13, 14. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. And yeah. so you, you've been doing it for like at least 10 years, right? Yeah, this is my 11th year in teaching. Uh -huh. And that is the activity you enjoy the most, right? Yes, definitely. Without <laughs> a doubt. <laughs> Great. So I even saw on, on stories that children can congratulate you today, right? Yes, they, they can actually. My Instagram today is full of uh, uh, teaching throwbacks and I've been receiving messages from students whom I've taught like uh, seven years ago, eight years ago. They're all grown up into doctors now. Uh, a few of them are engineers and they are uh, uh, sending me online messages to congratulate me on Teacher's Day today. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, would you be able to elaborate a little bit on on how it works in India? Because I've traveled in India with, with my wife, a teacher, you know, as well, and uh, we were not allowed to go into schools, even though we really, want, you know, wanted to. And um, so, so you teach science as a general subject, or or is there like a specific, uh, you know, like specific subjects that you are allocated to? What's the what's the structure? You know, just to allow us to understand how it how it works and and what sort of pattern is is followed in india right uh, so um, the thing is uh, when when you're talking about primary school it is uh, somewhere between class 1 to class 5 so when i say i teach at primary school i also teach grade 5 and uh, when you're teaching middle school it ranges from grades uh, 6 to 8 and uh, from 9th and 10th is high school and uh, after ten year, uh, after the tenth grade, you uh, go into college. So uh, that's how it works. And uh, everybody is not allowed into a school. You require right. uh, prior permissions, uh, permissions from the principal. And uh, I mean, if you and your wife would have uh, gone through somebody who was a teacher there, 
I mean, mm-hmm. if uh, the person could have spoken to the principal, maybe they would have, uh, you know, allowed. But but generally, they do allow uh, you into the school if you want to give a guest lecture or something like that. But otherwise, yeah, you know, are not allowed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's how we should should have approached the whole thing. You know, just. <laughs> you know trying to contribute something rather than just you know observe observe or oh, we want to just have a look you know like how these how these people live i think it's not very respectful maybe uh, you know to have this sort of approach i think you know just giving something uh i don't know you know as a way of lecture and then yeah. also experiencing the you know the environment i think would work and we also went to Ghana and, and, and we also were, were unsuccessful because we didn't do the paperwork in advance. You know, we should have probably contacted someone, you know, some, someone who's a teacher. And then um, we would also we would also um, be I mean, we would be allowed. Right. And what sort of struck me about, um, in, you know, your uh, sort of bio is that, um, you know, like, like teachers uh, are underappreciated, you know, nowadays the the sort of impact they have on the world uh, is not commensurate to how much they're being paid in comparison to every other occupation and and uh, uh, you know you know maybe we, we could uh, de- you know deliberate a little bit about why that is like why are teachers so so undervalued and and so underappreciated nowadays yeah I, I would talk about that but uh, let me tell you next time if mm-hmm. you plan on coming to India with your wife you should definitely contact me I would definitely sure. uh, <laughs> you know uh, get you into one of the schools and uh, volunteering sure, sure. Uh, volunteering is also a good idea if you want to volunteer mm-hmm. teaching English that is one of the easiest way to get into an Indian school where you can just volunteer your services of uh, teaching kids English for about a week to a month uh, that way right, or you could right. contact That's- me quite easy to yes. do right okay okay yes, yes. thank you and um, and coming to what you just said about uh, why teachers are being uh, underpaid undervalued and uh, today being teachers day i would uh, it's one of the very controversial topics teachers generally do not talk about that because uh, you don't want people hearing you out on that so uh, what they say is when you are into teaching it is uh, you know you are following your passion you are not into teaching for money is what we believe but teachers are paid very less uh, to the amount of endless hours of work that we put in we hardly paid anything so people just uh, think that being a teacher is just a 8 to uh, 2 in the afternoon job once you get out of school you're done with work and uh, uh, but that's not the case you go home you're grading papers you're developing lesson plans i think um, i think uh, teachers uh, need to speak up uh, more about the issues that uh, you know that that we are facing instead of being silent uh, and uh, tolerating what you're being paid and people basically fear losing the job when you speak up uh, people say that okay you you are demanding uh, more of a pay so we'll kick you out we'll get somebody else who's ready to uh, who's willing to work for much lesser than what you're working for. So I think teachers especially these days need to be bold and uh, need to speak for themselves. And uh, instead of fearing that they might be kicked out of the jobs or, uh, you know, uh, the um, higher authorities might be disrespectful to you if you speak up. That is one of the main reasons uh, teachers are uh, being paid very less. And the budget allocated to education sector uh, is also very less. That is another reason. Yeah, we've actually discussed this, you know, this sort of, you know, topic around that topic on one of our episodes. Uh, we discussed this sort of, you know, um, 
compulsory education, but we also uh, you know touched upon this this uh, idea that people only see the work they themselves do. So uh, you know we we tend to under appreciate everybody else in the economy and in a in any re a relationship because we just don't know how hard they work. So for example, in case of teachers, uh, people. Um, tend to look at the you know two month holidays at the fact that they just talk and and students are supposed to listen and they don't take into account the you know the hours after work you have to grade papers you have to you know think about how you're going to structure the whole thing about all the personal issues kids bring to you also right you know that carries on you right and and i don't know for some reason people just just see this idea that that you just have two months of holidays and that you're this authority and why would you you know what what you know like what's the problem <laughs> right? yeah but but i would like to if uh, if you may allow me mm -hmm. i would like to mm -hmm. say something on this uh the approach that we're following on teaching these days is quite uh different uh what we are mm -hmm. following during the pandemic um, since the corona pandemic has uh, you know, been on all of us. So what yeah. the amount of work that teachers had to put through is learn uh, what you would have learned in five years. You did uh, learn that in 15 days and get ready for your classes instantly <laughs> without any notice. And and generally also nowadays, I think uh, teachers are not the authoritative figures. We practice something called as the flipped uh, classroom where we uh, give students the things that they're supposed to read and come and then we discuss. So we are also giving authority to the student uh, to speak up, uh, but that's but but that's not uh, very much what's going on. But this is what has started. So people thinking that teachers only, uh, you know, standing in the class and giving a lecture. Teaching is uh, much more than that. You know, it's definitely much more than that. So yeah, yeah but and. And again, you know the the you know the the whole technology thing, right? You know, uh, Mikhail, uh, you know, teachers who had no idea on how to do anything remotely, all of a sudden, yeah, it's it's your field, right? Yeah, I mean, it's especially the ones who are older and not yet very familiar with te common technology right now. Like for some people, it's very difficult to adjust to all this online thing and it's very stressful. And those people are usually professors of highly respectable like rank. Um, but all of a sudden they lose their value because they have to provide uh, their teaching online. And I'm curious, uh, how do you approach this online education in India? Is it becoming much more prevalent or you are still focused on the traditional means of education? Um, okay, so uh, the thing about online education is uh, we have started our classes from the uh, month of May, that is end of May. So we are not even four months old into online teaching. And uh, before that, we were given like uh, about 15 days of training on how to go about the whole thing. So we were basically working 24-7 on how to learn about the methods. And slowly, I guess, uh, online teaching is becoming very prevalent. And uh, as the schools don't plan on opening till December, uh, since the cases are rising. So uh, I think it will go on uh, for a while. Um, you know, 
so i think it is the norm so people are slowly adapting to it though many parents do not like it because there is no personal interaction between the teacher and student and parents also refuse to pay the school fees so many of the schools there the parents are only paying 50% of the fees as a result many of the teachers are getting paid only 50% of their salaries i would say many teachers in india are facing the issue and many are also struggling with job loss but i guess um, many people have understood the fact that uh, online teaching is the only way uh, forward in in a situation like this yeah especially so, with the younger kids i guess it's very hard to make them sit behind a laptop and make them listen especially like i can't even imagine this happening to a 8 year old kid <laughs> right yeah yeah what they do is uh, so nowadays uh, i what my favorite uh, dialogue is i always uh, when i'm speaking to people i'm afraid i might say kindly mute yourself because that's what i'm used to saying in the classroom because kids are all the time that is that is that that particular kindly line mute yourself yeah. yeah that's you know that's a nice uh, you know that's a nice sort of uh, passive aggressive uh, i don't know you know you know telling somebody off right you know mute yourself <laughs> i'm going to use that from now on Nice yeah, because because that's what happens in the classroom all the time. You're trying to talk, you're trying yeah. to teach, and the kids are experimenting with all the buttons on the screen. We take classes on uh, Google Meet, so everybody one uh, so the kids uh, start presenting uh, when you are teaching, and then you will have to tell them again, please stop sharing the screen, kindly mute yourself, kindly do not unmute. So <laughs> this goes on uh, all the time, and it's very difficult. And and more difficult than that is you know the parents are always sitting right next to the kid parents are always monitoring oh. you so if you are teaching a class of uh, 25 students add uh, 40 more people because you know they are secretly sitting behind the screen and uh, listening to your class that, yeah, that's, that's actually a big thing i didn't uh, didn't even consider it especially you know especially indian kids indian kids are very sort of uh, curious like you know there was this experiment where they just uh, built like a com you know computer in in a wall somewhere in i think in like an indian village and they didn't leave any instruction anything uh, and basically kids figured the, you know, the whole thing out after i think a couple of days so so they would play the you know, games they would browse the internet so so that was um you know i mean yeah yeah, they're very smart. They outsmart us all the time. The kids, they outsmart the teachers all the time, especially when it, when it comes to online classes. So when you're asking them a question, you know, they are also browsing through the answer on the uh, next, uh, you know, Google uh, Chrome toolbar. So, you know, they're also looking at the answer and they're looking at the screen and they act as if they're not looking. They're just looking at you. They're, they are way too smart. So, 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 so I wonder what could be done, you know, to, um, to, um, to allow other people uh, to see the amount of work that's being done uh, by teachers so that it's it's more appreciated because let's say uh, teachers speaking up is i mean yeah i mean they could do that but then how to make the the you know everybody else listen to uh, to how how much work it it entails the whole you know teaching uh, business yeah, I think now uh, parents are slowly um, beginning to realize the amount of work teachers put in because they are having to teach their kids at home and right. deal with them 24-7. So right. uh, now parents are slowly beginning to appreciate the amount of work teachers put in and uh, they will they have to be with the kids and give them lessons and uh, that's uh, that's what teachers do with 30 or 40 kids at a time. 
and parents have to deal with just one or two kids at home so many parents also start uh, sending you notes like ma'am we don't know how you do this but this is something very challenging and we are beginning to realize that but on a larger scale if you want people to realize that yes speaking up uh, speaking about it blogging about it talking about it is one thing but inviting parents to the classroom where they see the amount of work that you are putting in the amount of energy you require each day uh, to deliver your lesson with enthusiasm you might be going through personal issues it's not an easy uh, job when you're stepping up uh, into the classroom and uh, you have to deal with 30 40 different kids and everybody has a different learning style uh, so you different cultural background in india you have so many cultural uh, differences so dealing with everything together i think if you invite parents to teach for a day you know uh, they will uh, might get an idea of for how much of work teachers really uh, put in and also school administrators being more supportive of the teachers uh, when it when it comes to things like these and school administrators and principals higher authorities uh, speaking to the parents and everybody about it also will bring this uh, fact to light generally they do not talk about it and uh, uh, they only say that uh, teachers are supposed to do all the work and deliver the best to students but teaching is a, a very collaborative uh, job a teacher is putting in all the effort but if the student doesn't give anything in return it does not work out so 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 you know so in terms of um so so inviting uh, parents to teach is probably possible in india but it, it for example wouldn't be possible in the uk in 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 russia i guess mikhail would would that be possible <laughs> because you can't just go and teach right but uh, so 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 you know so i guess making people aware with you know via other means but now i think they've got this visceral uh, experience of of having the kid all the time and it's only one person right yes. or or maybe you know sometimes two or three right so 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 i think uh you know maybe this is somehow going to play in into into your uh, i don't know in your ad- into your advantage somehow uh, into the teacher's advantage that people are going to uh, will start to appreciate what it what it actually entails Hopefully. yeah definitely people are uh, slowly starting to appreciate that but uh, only 1% <laughs> out of the 100% it will still take time yeah yeah exactly yeah and uh, saumia i'm was very curious when you said that microbiology was not your cup of tea uh, what exactly did you mean by that and uh, yeah elaborate yeah. please yeah so uh, i've done my masters in uh, microbiology uh, i wanted to do a course in environmental science but then um, um there the, there wasn't much scope for that in india and uh, in, in india career choices uh, many times are uh, very largely dictated by parents and then uh, so i could not get into environmental uh, science so i took up microbiology and then uh, after studying that i i i sort of did not enjoy the i mean looking into a microscope seeing the uh seeing life move and uh, feel it was definitely a magical experience but then it did not ignite that spark in me and it did, it did not give me the feeling that i want to do this for the rest of my uh, uh life i could not stand um, i i could not imagine myself standing in a lab uh, working for such long hours 
and uh, testing blood samples i'm not saying i i'm really not against the people doing that i love people who do that and very grateful for the uh, microbiologists who are working round the clock to develop a vaccine <laughs> but uh, i somehow thought that uh, this is uh, not what i want to do uh, for the rest of my life so yeah yeah right um and um so as your passion is environment and the planet earth and its well-being and you also uh, you are a passionate traveler can you elaborate on these factors like why you care so much about the planet what's your plan to improve theirs and what's your travel experience right so uh, my dad has been in the indian forest uh, service and uh, we grew up very close to the natural environment as in uh, very close to the forest so we could just uh, sit in the jeep uh, go uh, into the jungle and you know spot tigers in the wild and uh, spot wildlife uh, get very close to nature that's uh, that is uh, actually a privilege and that that is what very few people get to experience i consider myself lucky growing up like that so that uh, that has been always there uh, to continue that forward you know to protect life in uh, all its forms uh, be it wildlife or anything else so that's where my passion uh, from um, about wildlife comes from my dad used to watch uh, documentaries uh, bbc documentaries and uh, all the nagio documentaries we had all sorts of uh, books uh, uh, talking about wildlife while growing up so that has been there and uh, now when i teach science i am also an environmental uh, science teacher for the primary grades so i uh, show the kids uh, ted talks about greta thunberg now kids did not know who greta thunberg was but uh, it's not a part of our syllabus but i want the kids to know because uh, that's what is going on in the world and um, uh, why i care about the environment is because as a teacher as a responsible citizen it is my duty to leave the world a better place for the coming generations so that is why i try to protect it uh, with all my might <laughs> right uh, and i just wanted to clarify are you still live um, in this kind of environment where you close to the forest and you uh, have an ability to observe wildlife uh well uh, well after finishing my college and uh, getting married i moved to a different city and uh, i do not live close to nature there it's an apartment that i live in but yes we do have a large open space so when i come to my parents um, i do get the opportunity to i mean we could go on tours like that but it's been a while that i've uh, gone to a jungle but that that's what i prefer to do when i'm traveling i definitely traveling to any country i definitely uh, one exploring one national park of that particular country is definitely in my to do list okay so that mm -hmm. that's uh, that's one way i try to remain close to wildlife even though living in a city Great. so so uh, what would you say to people who say uh, actually the whole environmental uh, movement is uh, let's say um not exactly correct in thinking that people have impact on the on the on the environment and and they say that for example the um the explosions on the sun are to blame and that people and their activities are just too ha have just too um minuscule of an impact uh on on the earth itself uh, how would you address their uh, let's say arguments yeah it, it is uh 
difficult explaining people who do not uh, believe on the um, you know power of uh, actions that an individual can have i would uh, probably quote mahatma gandhi where uh, uh, from india everybody knows about him and uh, uh, i could tell them that one person uh, has the power to change everything i could uh, tell them about the recent environmentalists and people who are uh, putting in their efforts and they are changing for example let me again uh, talk about greta being only a 16 year old uh, mm -hmm. just uh, let us look at the amount of uh, change and revolution that she has uh, uh, brought into the uh, world and people are beginning to follow her so i uh, maybe we uh, could tell people that you know uh, your actions definitely matter we are all interconnected and uh, there is a no nothing that um, you cannot change each of your actions mm -hmm. impacts the other living things so we are all interconnected so there is no way that uh, you can think or even even think that uh, what you do doesn't matter right and um, i was thinking about this idea of kindness so uh, at least my wife believes that teacher teachers should be feared right and uh, rather than rather than uh, let's say mm, viewed as kind people because uh, education in itself is a painful process in a lot of ways right so uh, being young and rebellious you don't really want to sit down and spend time on educating yourself or on learning or, or on reading or, or studying uh, a foreign language i mean you know these things are very very difficult right so uh, I wonder how would you uh, approach this? Is it is fear more? I mean, more effective, or is kindness, or or maybe kindness has its own uses that maybe you you see in, you know, at work? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think every teacher has his her own way of uh, dealing with their class, and mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, I would say uh, being a teacher um, comes with uh, a huge responsibility. And you also have this privilege of setting up your work environment. So when you are setting up your classroom, you you uh, you know you make the rules clear, and uh, it 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 could be done done in both the ways, either by being kind or being stern. That's again your personal style of uh, teaching. For me personally, it is um, I cannot be stern with the kids. I end up cracking jokes. I uh, for me. Sense of humor is one important element that I use in my classroom. I'm cracking jokes all the time, though I'm teaching science. That way, right. I, I mean, I don't want my uh, students to sit up like this and listen to me. It would be so boring because when you imagine right. yourself in a student's shoes, you definitely would not want to have such a teacher who's always dictating terms and uh, telling you what to do all the time. You want somebody who is friendly, approachable, uh, kind, you know. So uh, that works for me, but then I also respect mm -hmm. all my teachers. All my teachers have uh, had uh, no sense of humor. I had, I have to say this. Uh, uh, they were all very strict and stern, but I still uh, greatly value and uh, respect them because that was their style of teaching. That was their way of teaching. And uh, if you are able to uh, get across students uh, your message, your content. Mm -hmm. In being stern, then it's okay, but it doesn't work for me. So I think uh, being kind uh, and being uh, jovial in the classroom is uh, what works. But then again, the important thing is uh, there is a fine line between, uh, you know, that uh, being too kind and then students start taking you for granted. And they're like, okay, she's not going to say anything. So let's not turn, uh, turn in the assignment. Anyway, she's going to excuse us. So you need to learn to balance that.
very much. So, so this approach, um, so your approach, how does it stack up against the, the traditional Indian way of doing things and the, and, and the traditional Indian education or, or approach to education? Uh, how, how do they do things uh, in comparison to how you would like them to be done, for example? Right. Uh, so the traditional Indian way is basically teacher is the authoritative figure in the classroom. Uh, whatever the teacher say, uh, says or wants to happen has to happen. The students cannot question the teacher, uh, whether she's right or wrong. You just have mm-hmm. to listen to the teacher all the time. That's that's how it is being going on for uh, ages. But but uh, being an educator for quite some time now, uh, I very much want to call myself a facilitator because I believe what traditional uh, Indian um, thinking style is that uh, kids are empty boxes and we can just fill them up with whatever facts we want to and uh, we can uh, dictate them saying that, okay, I taught you this, so you're going to have to remember this till you attempt your exam and then you can forget it. I see no value or purpose of such education. So kids are not empty boxes. They already come with a lot of learning. They have their own ideas. They have their own values. As, as a facilitator or as a teacher, your job is just to bring out the best that is already existing in the student. That is what uh, I have been uh, trying to do, uh, fight against the very traditional Indian system where teacher is always um, telling the students what to do. Um, what I generally do in the classroom is I believe learning along with my students. So when I'm giving them a task where I'm teaching them something about the subject, I invite them to teach me something that I don't know. It could be their own uh, native language. It could be a song that I don't know. So we, as a teacher, uh, I'm also a learner. What I believe is without without being a learner, you can never be a true teacher. So you're a lifelong learner once you are a teacher. So I'm simultaneously all the time learning along with my uh, students in the classroom. And, and that's what creates a very, uh, you know, uh, non-judgmental, atmosphere Mm -hmm. in the classroom where students see that okay my teacher is also learning along with me something that she doesn't know so I'm not perfect neither is she Uh, so that is very different from the traditional Indian uh, thinking yeah that's an awesome approach because because uh, you know teachers view themselves as this finish as these finished products who just produce outputs and and are meant to be consumed right right but you're also supposed to grow and you're and, and and you're also like exposed to 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 um, let's say st- standing still and not developing, right? So, yeah, yeah. And uh, Samia, I was very curious how you approach this issue of uh, having uh, students with different abilities in the class. Um, like it's obvious that if you have a class of thirty people, some students are very high performing students, and some are a bit far behind. And uh, how do you approach this issue of uh, putting an exactly same material, yeah, on a lesson? But for some people, it may be very difficult and for some it may be very like easy right uh, so yeah you know catering to students with different learning styles is definitely one of the most challenging things that you do as a teacher all the time there's one kid uh, there's a couple of kids who learn only through pictures there's 10 of them who learn when they write 
there's uh, 20 of them who learn when they see some they see they watch a video so creating a lesson plan which caters to everybody so i would say um, as a teacher so far now there has been no perfect lesson plan that i was able to develop to cater to all the learning styles we just div- uh, divide learning into so when i when we are working in the classroom um, though sometimes it i do go against the rules i do break a lot of rules uh, not not really encouraged uh, you know in the school but then uh, w- what i want is my students to learn so if we have a lesson plan that we are only supposed to follow and it caters only to the students who have audio visual uh, abilities uh, when they are seeing and learning what about the students who um, you know learn through speaking or role play so my lesson plan uh, plan generally caters to like it is uh, divided into four or five parts where each student um, gets a chance to do his or her own thing so in my classroom if you walk into my classroom you will not find my students sitting all in one place or in a group some of them are uh, sitting on the floor some of them are sitting on the bench some of them standing working in a corner some of them lying on the floor creating paper planes and doing their own thing but the the challenge here is uh, the noise levels in the class rise too much that's when the principals and the administrators have a problem saying you you're not a good teacher you can't manage your class but what they don't see is there's real learning going on there in the classroom where each kid is uh, trying his best and and is enjoying the activity that he or she is doing so my way of uh, developing a le- such a lesson plan which um, fits into all students needs is uh, when the school starts i do not start my lessons i take about a week to 10 days to get to know the kids so i i show them my travel souvenirs uh, that i collected when i went to sri lanka or thailand or talk about those things and uh, tell my stories as a student when i was a student and connect with them and then there are some students who tell you that ma'am i love i love uh, sketching as well i love listening to music i love when students open up to you and then i note down um, you know that this particular student is interested in art this particular student is interested in music so and then when i start teaching after 10 days when the school starts i try to when i'm teaching i try to use as many methods as possible in my lesson which generally suits most of the students you can never uh, do justice to 100% of them but you can definitely try your best yeah and uh, how many people do you usually have in a class how many kids uh, the school where i teach currently we have 24 students but uh, in a traditional uh, indian classroom setting you would have close to uh, 40 students to even 50 students Yeah. So so the strategies for managing uh, the outside world because let's say um you know you're the teacher you've got uh, kids and you've got this let's say world of learning happening and it's kind of loud because it I mean sometimes it has to be because some some kids I mean a lot of kids learn, you know learn that way and the acceptable norm is to just everybody sits neatly in their in their uh, at their desk and that's sort of the respectable a view of how education happens right but if you have this uh, this messy sort of learning then i know for a fact it's very effective but then what sort of strategies do you employ in managing the outside world so that so that they don't interrupt or you know so that it just doesn't all fall apart because i i, I would suppose there is a lot of politics here right 
because uh, you're just you know part of this big body and you've got your own approach but uh, and it works because because it does but some people view it differently and how how do you manage them or or their expectations maybe yeah there, there's a definitely a lot of politics involved when it comes to any mm -hmm. workplace i believe uh, there are teachers who uh, when they see you teaching in a different style they don't like it because you're doing it in a different way than it has to be done and people who think very traditionally also think that you're going against the school rules so you do not you are trying to be the authoritative figure which you are not uh, okay so that they have serious issues and problems so often um, i did end uh, end up getting into arguments uh, a couple of times with administrators and and doing uh, conducting learning in such a way is um, quite difficult but what i try to do is before i am doing any activity like that i tell the kids okay listen we gonna learn you all are free to choose your own groups work with your friends have all the fun while you learn but there is something that you have to follow do not run out of the class do not yell or shout so loudly that you end up disturbing the other classes though it did uh, flop horribly many times they do not listen and then, <laughs> and then and, and then i had to run out of the door and look if somebody is coming or somebody was watching my class and then i i have to you know uh, send them back to their places okay go back sit there and we will do this some other day and uh, but but over the years what i have learned is that uh, set very clear rules and tell them mm -hmm. we will continue learning like this if you follow these instructions okay work in your assigned uh, teams that you choose to work on and we can keep doing this more often if you keep the classroom environment uh, you know bearable for the other classes so they understand okay if we're going to break these rules uh, she is not going to conduct a lesson like this again so let us you know stay in our limits and uh, they they know their limits so they they're like okay fine so i can sleep uh, and work but it doesn't mean i kick somebody who's walking and uh, the other uh, kids and the falling and things like that so they know the set of rules that they are supposed to follow but they so, also so, have the yeah sorry. sorry so you know so i think you know they sort of understand that they might lose this right if they go over over the i don't i don't know over the limit over right the so so limit, so yeah. right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so Samia, uh, talking more about the environment, um, you say that there are 10 green choices people can make uh, to switch for a better planet. What are they? Um, the first thing I would uh, say is every choice uh, that you make matters, but then making informed choices is something that is very important. So, um, uh, you know, switch on to basically so something's very easy which everybody can do switch on to eco friendly devices that's what somebody everybody knows and then use your water wisely do not waste water and then here is where the part of vegetarianism comes in uh, which um, again it's a personal choice uh, again i do not have a problem with people who uh, also consume meat but then it's again your personal uh, choice totally your personal choice but then it's it's uh, when you talk about it it is like when um, you you uh, growing food for the cattle that you're going to uh, consume it is creating more uh, greenhouse gases it is using lots of water 
so to generate 1 uh, kg of beef uh, somewhere around 10 to 12000 liters of water is used just to generate 1 kg of beef whereas to grow a whole you know a 1 kg of uh, wheat you would require only 1 to 2000 liters of water where there is a huge difference some difference between 10000 and 1000 so uh, food is one choice that you can make that is again your choice if you do not want to make it totally fine with it and then uh, the way you travel uh, the way you travel i would also like to connect it to travel uh, you know uh, where uh, you travel to places which are more uh, sustainable um, sustainable which do, which do not use a lot of uh, electricity or use again eco friendly uh, devices so things like that uh, can go a long way Uh, the the first thing is educating people about it and uh, uh, introducing that subject in the curriculum is uh, what i strongly believe uh, will impact our future decisions because many people do not yet know what is climate change many people think climate change is just a hoax and it's not true right many uh, many countries and then uh, we really have to uh, show them how it is all going to affect us in the a uh, future for my students i would i do uh, keep showing them documentaries during the uh, lunch uh, time which they see and they like oh wow so much of uh, greenhouse gases or it's going to impact us as there, there is no uh, ground water going to be remaining in india after 20 years what are we going to do if there is no water so you know talk to them about it and tell them what they can do so so would you advise to uh, to implement this i don't know uh, Um, climate change or or or, or vegetarianism as a, as a way of as a su- subject almost would that work uh, or or maybe you know how would you do that you know to you know to fit into the the the, the traditional system of of education because you know everybody has their own subject right how how do you sort of smuggle that into uh, the cur- uh, the whole cur- uh, curriculum sorry Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, not want uh, the students to learn about vegetarianism because I believe it's very much of a personal choice. What you're eating, mm-hmm. how you're brought up, and uh, in what kind of a culture you're brought up, what in what kind of a country you're brought up. In India, almost seventy uh, percent, sixty to seventy percent of the people are vegetarians. But people also there is a, also a wide contrast. uh when people living near to the coastal areas uh, near to the seas and oceans they do eat a lot of uh, fish meat pork beef everything so you i cannot go and tell them come on you be a vegetarian because i am a vegetarian it is again their personal choice that is the food they get that is what they get easily so that is what they gonna eat so i definitely do not want this um subject of vegetarianism to be included in the uh, syllabus or curriculum but i would definitely want uh, this um, i think uh, one of the countries i don't remember if it is finland or some other or thailand but they have already introduced this um, um, subject climate change in their curriculum uh, from college so um, it it, mm. it again depends on the uh, it again depends on the education ministry education board for that to introduce it's not in our hands but then as teachers we can give our uh, suggestions and whenever as um, if you are an environmental science teacher you uh, you know educate your students about it as and when you find time yes so just to clarify when you say like 70% of people in india are vegetarians you mean they just don't eat meat and eat dairy and eggs and fish and stuff right and vegetables yeah 
Okay. Uh, I, I think I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not really sure about uh, 60 or 70 percent, but definitely a lot. Lots of people in 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 India are vegetarian. 70 percent is, I guess, a lot. But at least, uh, yes, yeah, 60 between 60 percent. Yes. So basically, in India, where it, it's also based on religious backgrounds. If you belong to a particular religion, you do not eat meat, fish, eggs, anything. And uh, so. i was born in 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 a religion um, a brahmin which uh, people do not generally eat meat in that particular religion but then again it is my personal choice after growing up uh, i did try my friend once offered me uh, something to eat and uh, i tried it because i wanted to try and uh, my my dad was very particular about me not having meat because uh, it is not allowed in your uh, religion but then uh, as uh, growing up i wanted to experiment and once my friend offered me and and somehow i don't know whether it was psychological or what it was i didn't like the taste i was like fine i'm i'm fine being a vegetarian my whole life so <laughs> i have a never ever tried anything uh, except for egg um, curry which i tried when i was in 7th grade i was uh, 11 10 um, 11 years old i believe <laughs> right and um uh, so do you see any other reasons to be vegetarian rather than helping the environment like do you think it's more healthy or, or whatever it's it's uh, definitely more healthy uh, vegetarian food is easy to digest i'm talking as a science teacher again i have done my uh, research and then uh, and it you're also being very kind since i uh, support uh, being kind to all the creatures definitely it's not on religious backgrounds that i continue being a vegetarian but after growing up i realized there are many more aspects to being a vegetarian um, rather than only the religious aspect so when when you're killing animals uh, for your food you're growing them you're killing them when you're killing an animal it can sense because animals and human beings we all have a very uh, high level of consciousness is what we believe so just imagine somebody uh, coming at you with a knife and they're going to chop off your uh, hand uh, to eat and how would you feel you would definitely start running away it is the same with animals the animals know they are just put into small cages they cannot move and the toxic chemicals stress hormones are released in their body and when you eat the animal you are also eating the all those uh, things you know so and and people generally say that plants are living things too so what about uh, being a vegetarian you are you are cutting plants and you are eating them so you are killing life plants also have life so the what i would want to uh, uh, talk on this is that plants do not have a well developed nervous system like we do mm-hmm. uh since i said human beings have the highest level of consciousness so we feel pain emotions 100 times or maybe more more than that when you compare it to the plants plants do not plants do have feelings as per the latest research they can sense things they have underground root systems where they uh, communicate with each other but then they do not have these pain receptors if you are if you are uh, chopping a plant it, it cannot feel pain with the limit that you feel as a human or an animal and uh, also to eat a plant you don't have to cut it off all the time you can just pluck a fruit and the fruit will grow back you can cut a part of it and uh, it will grow back yeah so, and would you also support people becoming even vegans uh, like where they don't consume any animal protein and stuff 
yeah I, we, veganism is the the in thing nowadays and uh, i guess people all over the world are going vegan i myself i have been trying to go vegan uh, but then i love cheese uh, i i cannot do without cheese and uh, i love chocolates as well <laughs> which is again made from milk but after reading um, about all the cruelty again that is done to animals to you know uh, get the cheese products and the milk i mean i've been trying for an year now but then i still haven't got where i want to be i would definitely advocate uh, veganism but it's definitely a tough um, thing to do but it takes time mm-hmm. sure sure thank you uh you know now just you know changing the sub- subject to something that, that's of personal interest uh, of mine so i i, I was always baffled uh, while traveling in india by this by those remnants of the of the british empire right and i was always trying to figure out uh, what's actually different to why the british were there to you know how the how the country operates and runs and how things uh, are being done under the this you know this this empire and now let's say in the freedom um you know during the freedom uh, uh yeah i mean yeah how would you how would you uh, you know what what would you say you know what's the difference uh there's there's a lot of difference uh, definitely and uh india is not what it used to be uh pre-independence and post-independence everything has changed but yes we the structures uh, the the structures that you were talking about if you go to delhi if you've been to delhi have you been yeah. to delhi yeah i've so been to delhi actually <laughs> yeah so all the historical monuments uh, and many of the things were built by mughals who are not uh, indians again and the britishers also have uh, i mean impacted uh, uh, the indian monuments in a huge way constructing huge libraries uh, and uh, parks which we have now um and travel during those days i guess uh, never really thought about it but uh, now since everybody um is earning well and uh, are you know uh, can travel by a plane most of the people today pr- prefer uh, traveling by a plane but then again it depends uh, if you support the environment you you uh, you believe in slow traveling where you travel more by land if you have more time you travel by land and then um yeah sure That's- and and also you know an, another thing i noticed about uh india uh as a as an entrepreneur is that uh, i had some products made in india in kolkata and uh this the, so the quality was 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 great everything was was good but the, but the speed um was was like three times uh, let's say slower than in in china right and i'm wondering does that have to do uh, you know does that have to do with the work ethic or with uh, how um how companies are operated like what's the what would you say is the maybe the the main difference between how the chinese do do things and how they run the you know their economy and how you operate you know is it on like a, i don't know maybe you've got different mentality almost what's the you know what's what's behind that because why does it take so long <laughs> You you mean it takes long uh, to complete the job uh, or the yeah. products are slower? 
Yeah, so you know, so the so, so the quality is is good, right? I mean, uh, it's going to be you know relied upon, but but then, uh, what good is it if it takes like three times longer, right? I mean, you know, customers are going to run away because you know you need to deliver in time, right? So so you know, why does that that happen? I mean, yeah. Yeah, basically, Indians um, are known for the Indian standard time. So if they if they tell you uh, we're gonna be there in ten minutes, it's gonna take half an hour. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, <laughs> I think, uh, but that's slowly uh, changing. That's slowly mm -hmm. changing with the current uh, generation, with more young people in the ta task force. One of the reasons I believe is all the best uh, students who qualify uh, for the top universities, they all go abroad to study. And they, yeah. they work there. So all the cream of the top universities and the country is uh, uh, most of them are studying outside because they have a better uh, life. Um, they know they have uh, security. There is accountability, which is sometimes lacking here. And if you're comparing uh, with China, which is again India's biggest uh, competitor, uh, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, so far we have... Uh, mostly relied on the Chinese products because they work way above and beyond. I'm not saying Indians are not hardworking. We do work a lot. We are also workaholics. We work overtime all the time. Uh, but somehow, uh, because of such long working hours, maybe people just, uh, you know, take it lightly. Okay, my time is nine to five. So if I, I'm sitting in the office, but I am not paying attention to what I'm doing or I take it lightly after um, uh, some time. So I'm not delivering my 100%. Most of the people are again undervalued, not paid well, and the people are hired uh, to work for a much uh, cheaper price. So they do not give their uh, best uh, to the job. And one of the other reasons I believe is, uh, uh, the again, that's why I uh, want to talk here about the education system, because mm -hmm. you, um, 20 years back, the people who are in the workforce currently, parents just uh, told you or you just said you thought that this is a well-paying job. You get into it whether you are interested or not interested, whether you are passionate about the job or not passionate. Just because your mom and dad told you you have to be an engineer, your life is going to be secure. So you get into the job, you construct flyovers which might collapse because uh, you are not you you are not passionate about the job you're not giving you a hundred percent plus there is a lot of corruption that exists so everybody is looking for their own uh, benefit so i think yeah, yeah. you know somehow somehow um china has has convinced its population that 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 the good of the of the whole is more important than, than the good of the uh, of the individual right and, and and they all seem to be crazy about this this idea of being the best on the individual level even if it's painful and even if it takes uh, i don't know their life away because they they don't see their their kids their families and they they still do that because they see the impact uh, it has on the whole if every individual ant struggles uh, and uh, is just relentless, then then uh, what what the government is telling them it's going it's going to work. And and yes, it does work. But I, I just wonder, you know, is the personal price not too high? Uh, you know, sometimes because you just don't don't you don't have a life. You you don't have your family. You don't. I mean, you do, but you don't see them at all, right? So so. Uh, 
but but it's a it's a totally different approach to 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 how Indians do that, right? You you sort you're sort of in the middle, right? You're trying to uh, have a life, but also get get some stuff done, right? And then survive at the same time, and then you know have your curry also, right? <laughs> yeah, but 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 uh, again, as I told you, things are changing uh, for the better in India. People mm -hmm. are welcoming, and another reason I believe is people are stuck onto that one thing. So the the most dangerous thing I find is we have always done it this way, so we don't want to mm -hmm. change. We want to keep Very doing dangerous. it this way, mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. and you you need to adapt with changing times. You need. If what you were doing 10 years ago is not suited right now. So you need to adapt quickly. You need to unlearn and relearn everything that you think you know and start doing everything in a new way. That's how, uh, that's when things are really going to work out and we may be uh, getting as far as a more developed economy, um, I believe. But definitely we need to work more on it. Yeah, it's right. almost like st you know, like sticking to what we know it, it might be even as dangerous as not learning anything new, right? Because it's it's so it's kind of the same thing, right? If you just stick to what 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 you know is true, that and you you don't listen to anyone and you don't look look at, uh, at the outside world, then what's going to change? Nothing, right? I mean, you're just doing the same things and expecting different results. So, right. So yeah, yeah. Mikhail, and 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 how do Russians do that? You know, this whole. Uh, I don't know, in, individual versus the, the collective. Uh, how do they... I think do, do uh, they? it's also kind of a balance, but in Russia, it's also more individualistic rather than uh, mm -hmm. like a communist because we already had it for like 100 years when the Soviet Union uh, was at the political power. Uh, we had enough of this collective thing and uh, it, it didn't work that well. So kind of now we have a period where individual matters uh, more, I guess. You know, actually, you know, the Chinese government believes that uh, the collapse of the Soviet U Union was caused by this loosening of controls over the population, almost, you know, the Pierestroika and, and all these things. The, would you say that that's the case or, or, or was it just fundamentally flawed? Because the Chinese, you know, they, they want to fend off the collapse by just keeping everything under under this technocratic control, right? And, 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 yeah. And... Uh, first of all, I, I'm not an expert in any way, like to judge mm -hmm. these matters. But uh, from what I heard, Soviet Union mainly collapsed because uh, the government tried to make people equal in many regards, and they just didn't uh, like um, try to do anything better. Because no matter how you do it, you still get your salary, and it's the same as the one. Uh, the person who does a lot and hard uh, and a hard-working individual so the um, people just uh, didn't see any point in uh, in working and uh, that's the collapse the economy and stuff and and in India uh, in, you know, in a way you've got this this caste system which you know some people say it doesn't exist anymore but but you know us traveling there we've seen you know the, this division and people honestly sticking to their place like is is that also a way to 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 i don't know to or or maybe that's one of the reasons why uh india might not be let's say as as dynamic as as for example china you know is this is this um maybe lack of belief of the population in in this social mobility that they can actually change and they can switch or move from one caste or maybe from one um, uh, level of income to to the next uh, 
by, by the sheer um, let's say by the sheer potential and by the sheer value of their work you know m might that also be the reason why why it's just a, a bit let's say you know stagnant yeah i i uh, i cannot deny the existence of mm -hmm. caste system in india definitely uh, caste system still exists in india um, and um, but again uh, there are colleges uh, we have reservation in india if you belong to a particular caste uh, even if you uh, because um, you you suffered a lot uh, during the uh, older times uh, so even if you get a 40 or a 50 percent you can get into a college and uh, if you are a top scorer getting 80 90 percent you cannot get into a college because you do not belong to a particular caste so um, yes the people and caste system does not exist in cities uh, as far mm -hmm. as i have seen but if you mm -hmm. go to remote uh, places if you go to uh, small towns uh, small villages people still believe that you know they are born in a particular caste so they can't move up or they should not move up uh, and uh, they're not given fair chances uh, many times but but now um, uh, as an educator, it, it, I see it as a very um, not a good thing at all. And um, again, this is one of uh, a very controversial topic. The discussion that I encourage in my classroom and uh, tell my students uh, that no matter whatever caste you be, uh, belong to, uh, mm -hmm. your value you sh you're not valued depending on your caste, depending on what you can achieve, what you can dream of, and what you can do. That is uh, where your uh, potential lies. So never let people tell you about uh, your caste system. But that yes, it does exist and it does hinder uh, a lot of development in India. So, so uh, the belief that that I belong to a certain caste, right? You know, is it that, or is it this the the or or is it the social? Uh, I don't know um, limits. Uh, you know what's more uh, cr uh, critical here that people's personal belief that that they subscribe to a given caste and they just they just sh should just stay there is you know maybe that's more uh, let's say uh, more powerful uh, is that the case yeah um, so even if you're trying to get out uh, nowadays we know youngsters are more rebellious and they don't do not want to uh, follow such things and it's a good thing they are trying to get out everybody uh, they're trying to question uh, the beliefs that have existed for more mm -hmm. uh, than a century they're trying to question what if I belong to this caste why cannot I get out but then everybody cannot be a rebel <laughs> there are people there are people they are the calmer ones and the gentler ones they always do what the society uh, tells them to do so if the society keeps telling you if the people around you keep telling you that you be you belong here you stay here um, you know uh, that 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 also uh, comes in the way sometimes and 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 in your uh, daily practice and your and in your daily work do you see uh, any correlation between uh, wh uh, which caste a given student comes from and his academic performance so for example let's say the you know brahmins are performing better than let's say I don't know untouchables. You know, do do you have do you even allow untouchables into schools which are I don't know paid and and have you know like tuitions? How does you know how does that work? Because we mainly saw untouchables, let's say, cleaning the I don't know cleaning the train station, you know, and doing things like that. And 
and I, I'm still wondering are, are they allowed to let's say get education uh, or is this economic uh, boundary of not b being able to pay for it st still the main you know limit yeah so uh, personally uh, as a teacher I do not ask uh, about the cost of any of my students nor do I tell mm -hmm. them mine because uh, but then we have a discussion on the system without asking each other which caste do you belong to which caste do you belong to but since the kids are so used to it because parents are talking about it all the time so i tell them see listen uh, which caste you are coming from it really doesn't matter to me as long as you are enjoying my class as long as you are learning uh, i really do not want to know which caste you belong to but that is not the case with everybody there are many people who would want to know which caste the uh, student is uh, coming from more performing so I really uh, because I do not ask about the students cast I really don't know which cast they belong to so I cannot tell you whether uh, this cast performs better or the other cast but then we do have a rule um, uh, in a few school in a few schools that allows also the backward casts uh, uh, to come into the school and uh, the government uh, pays their fees so they are allowed uh, so each class uh, has four to five students who come from backward uh, castes and the government is paying for the tuition fees and uh, everything they just have to pay for their uh, books and there there were uh, uh, students like that in my class and uh, i i told uh, i don't want i told them that i don't want to know who who those students are because i really don't want to know i want to see everybody as an equal uh, you know as uh, yeah so there, there is provision for the students to come into the school and uh, get education. I, I, I think bigger cities are um, very much uh, changing in that regard. But again, I don't know where you saw the people uh, cleaning the station. And, and again, it happens a lot in smaller villages where people are not allowed to drink water from the same well, uh, not allowed to enter the temple. And that happens in small villages. It still happens, but not in the cities. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, Sumya, once you were telling about um, your uh, life in the wild, in your childhood, it was so exciting. Maybe you can elaborate more about how you saw the tigers and uh, all the wildlife. I guess it's uh, a unique experience. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I mean, as uh, growing up as kids, uh, again, uh, was... Uh, Quite difficult for my mom because my dad used to be on tours all the time jungle tours so he had duties where he had to sleep in in his uh, jeep at night in the jungle and uh, and uh, do, uh, i'm talking about 30 years back where we also had this uh, um, you know people called as next lights uh, who used to live in the jungles and uh, they had guns and uh, they could uh, they could uh, you know just harm you so, so when my dad was sleeping in the jeep, uh, doing night patrolling duty, it, I mean, now it all seems so, uh, you know, <laughs> like a, more like a film. It, it, it just uh, doesn't seem that it was, that's what we have uh, lived through. And uh, my dad was sleeping in a jeep and he was attacked by the Nexels uh, with the guns because he did not allow smuggling of sandalwood. Sandalwood is supposed to be very, very expensive. Uh, and no, uh, yeah. we had a lot of sandalwood uh, where we used to uh, live. So they were uh, trying to cut those trees and they were, they were trying to smuggle it into another state. And uh, since my dad was in the service, he was like, I cannot allow this in my area. So 
you better you know uh, leave that and then he they tied him up to a chair and uh, when he used to narrate uh, all those stories that was exciting and as a kid going into the jungle with dad in the jeep and um, we had uh, special structures called as machans where uh, we would climb up and sit in silence at night time and uh, wait for the tigers to um, tigers to come uh, and uh, definitely spotting a tiger in the wild is tiger or for 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 that sense i mean tiger is the national animal of india so the uh, pride uh, it exudes it, you definitely get a feeling when you see a tiger in the wild so yeah i mean i cannot forget uh, that experience of going um, into a jungle and uh, and and when the tiger is approaching you know what the other animals do they start making calls to each other so all the birds and all the other animals they start uh, talking in a particular tone and that is called as a call so they they are calling each other calling each other out so uh, and then you know the tiger is near somewhere whether it is hiding behind a bush looking at you and uh, that excitement uh, that you get it, it it is something that i cannot uh, really describe that uh, and when i saw the tiger in front of our jeep walking towards us and then it can also jump in jump into your jeep so you are totally at uh, its mercy because you are in the forest you are into its territory so you cannot control anything and uh, yeah we did spot tigers uh, and other wild animals and snakes lots of snakes uh, in the bathroom in the rooms many times uh, because the house was uh, so near to a forest and it had it had lots of trees so there were snakes dropping uh, from my dad's uh, uh, pockets many time when the pant was hung in the bathroom so the, the, this is something these things i really cannot uh, forget but then uh, we were quite lucky that we were never harmed uh, uh-huh. by any of these <laughs> creatures yeah so so you know so to so- somebody who has let's say been to india before uh, what what would you recommend for people to see uh, you know to experience real india as opposed to i don't know going to see taj mahal and maybe some places in darjeeling and and and, and punjab and and mumbai like how or or, or, or let's say varanasi and, and and these places what what would you say represents the let's say um, india or maybe the current uh, state of of how india is developing you know maybe i don't know delhi maybe some places in delhi or yeah so uh, for a person who is coming who does not belong to india who's coming from a different country Uh, the first thing i would say is there is no description that will prepare you for india because you're going to be totally <laughs> totally blown away you don't know what to experience you don't know yeah. everything comes to you at the same time so there's the honking there's people there's cows walking there's dogs barking uh, there's the auto rickshaw tuk tuk guy uh, taking over your car and your cab driver talking to you at the same time so a person who is coming from a different country who has not seen all this I think uh, <laughs> the first thing I would tell people is, guys, just you know, uh, take it easy, take it slow. <laughs> so, uh, because there's so many things, the color that you will see everywhere, the the vibrancy, and people also end up staring at you, and people want to get pictures with you. Uh, I I don't know if you have experienced that, but then every yeah. they come to you with the camera and they're like, we can we have a picture with you? I mean. I I know it seems so weird and um, 
embarrassing i feel so embarrassed when i see people do that but that that's what happens and people stare at you which uh, looks uh, very rude uh, to people coming from outside but then it really doesn't mean offense people are just overly friendly they want to uh, interfere in everything and they want to they want to basically <laughs> talk to you <laughs> they want to talk to you they want to get to know you so i would tell a person coming from outside take it slow take it calm uh, take time to observe everything around you and uh, uh, talking about a place that i would suggest i think each and every place in india is so different but generally people think about mm-hmm. taj mahal when they they uh, visit india taj mahal or punjab or darjeeling or uh, the mountains the himalayas but the india or kerala down in the south mm-hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. uh, where yeah. you have the house bo- uh, boats so but then um, it again depends on your uh, choice of um, or your interests if you are more interested into uh, wildlife you have your uh, national parks if you are more interested in trekking you could go to himalayas or uh, if you are interested in trying a bit of everything i think just uh, do uh, the um, around uh, 7 to 10 states in india if you have time starting from mm-hmm. punjab uh, and then varanasi i am uh, sure will blow anybody away uh, by by the experience that it uh, provides so i would recommend varanasi i would recommend kerala i would uh, recommend um, uh, andhra pradesh the place where i am in currently mm-hmm. yeah uh, i would recommend a lot of uh, south of india as it is uh, relatively untouched a lot of people know about the golden triangle delhi delhi i'm sure everybody goes to delhi so yeah delhi anyway you your flight would land there so you would definitely uh, go to delhi and uh, you could try a bit of everything So Mikhail were you bothered by uh, because you know looking at your skin it's pretty white because you know because I look Indian right you know I'm like uh, you know like a you know a bit but you you must have been like besieged by people like, like because oh look like this this whitish guy like this is skin I haven't seen this before let's take a picture so so yes. you know, so have you had these these cases before you know like uh, when you went, went to Delhi uh yes and especially i was there with uh, my girlfriend uh and mm-hmm. she ha- she has white hair and she's completely oh, white oh my god yeah that, that's even <laughs> so, uh, compared even to her yeah. i was uh, of at least attention she, all the attention right. was towards her and uh, right <laughs> so and uh, i had a wonderful experience in delhi and i was so amazed by Uh, the the nature in india it's so vibrant and uh, powerful and all the leaves all the flowers are so big and uh, colorful and i saw like uh, so many animals even on the streets like uh, big birds uh, parrots uh, monkeys <laughs> it was amazing So guys I think uh, we should wrap up Soumya we had mm-hmm. a wonderful experience talking to you and it's very enjoyable thank you very much you and very especially much. I, w- I wanted to comment on uh, how wonderful your dress is and uh, all the plans <laughs> behind you so, yeah. exactly <laughs> thank you beautiful. I'm uh, dressed traditionally as for the teachers day and uh, thank you so much uh, both of you for inviting me I think this is my first time uh, ever podcasting and on a talk like this uh, mm-hmm. and i hope i i could do justice to uh, the <laughs> talk yeah, yeah 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 you know for sure you know for sure if 
even the the questions we had, let's say out of the blue, which 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 for example, I often you know they just come to me. Uh, I I'm, I feel I feel satisfied that 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 you've actually resolved some some of my doubts and questions you know which I've had. So so maybe we could uh, delve even deeper, let's say in uh, in the future into this historical identity of you know of of being Indian and and all that. But that I think is is too complex of a topic. For let's say the initial encounter, because we need to learn each other a little bit to to to, to go really deep and and maybe resolve uh, all the people's uh, doubts as well, because I think many you know many people have this have this um, you know fuzzy view on on India. They they just cannot comprehend like what the hell is actually happening, right? You know they 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 for example know that okay Chinese are all about money, right? They are very productive, very quick, but you know that's sort of easy, right? But but we, we you know with with Indians it's like you just cannot grasp exactly what what the hell is happening right so so maybe you know in the in the next uh, in the foresee in the foreseeable future maybe we could go into into these uh, topics. Yeah, so. we could go on to that, and we could also talk more on travel. Uh, traveling is something I didn't talk much on, so yeah, exactly. I would love to solo yes. traveling, especially especially. So yeah. I would love to so, talk. Uh, so you know, so let's do that now. You know, solo traveling. You know, Mikhail, we sort of have this limit of of hour to hour and a half, and we're at like hour fifteen. So so uh, you know, let's go into solo uh, solo travel because that's not something that uh, women do on their own, right? Uh, yeah. But uh, but do, you know, but is that only travel in India or uh, also outside? You know, so because solo travel for you know for an Indian uh, lady, I, I I guess it's not as uh, as tricky as for a blonde Russian girl, right? Um, solo traveling in India uh, is mm -hmm. uh, very, very uh, difficult, I would say, because uh, you the way you're brought up is uh, you you told that you have these limits, you cannot do this, you should not do this, and especially being married, uh, it, it comes with a lot of. Uh, uh, questions people are like why do you want to go out alone can't you go out with your husband and uh, why do you want to be there alone by yourself and uh, this is not what you have done and uh, I started uh, solo traveling four years ago and uh, my uh, dad wanted to cancel my tickets and he's like you cannot go you should not go it's not safe uh, yeah. and when people talk about India the first thing that comes to mind is India is not safe uh, for women to travel and that is one thing uh, one perception that I wanted to change that uh, you know if you follow your intuition if you know what you're doing uh, you can do it and solo travel is also safe in India and I have traveled to many places I have not felt any uh, danger and people have been very very uh, welcoming and they were surprised and they also welcomed me saying that you're you're on your own so if you need any help so we, we can mm -hmm help you out but when you're stepping out of India that is when the real uh, challenge comes because you don't know the language and um, you know you don't know what to uh, expect so uh, but then yeah it's not very common for uh, Indian women to travel solo it's slowly developing though so what's the motivation for you just you know to do it solo what's the you know why you know why why do it alone yeah I, uh, as I told you, I wanted to change uh, this uh, notion that solo travel mm -hmm. in India is not safe and basically challenge myself of mm -hmm. what I can do and how far I can go because I have grown up all my life in a very safe uh, 
environment with my dad uh, providing for me or my husband and and never really went out alone anywhere so when uh, when right. one fine day i was thinking i was like can i do anything on my own when why, why i'm always depending right. on others and that that is that is when it occurred to me that okay i need to step out alone and see right. what i can do and maybe inspire other girls who think they can't do this they should definitely try this so you've got this hunger to just uh, experience things on your own on uh, let's say um without this um this uh, censorship from the outside world and and men and, and and things like that right because you need to be alone i guess right to just uh, even appreciate the the company of other people right yeah so 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 so, so where, you know where are you successful in, in that in and getting this and satisfying this hunger of of just traveling alone is you know you know that work those travels yeah uh, uh, yes um the first time when i went for a 10 day trip i was like oh my god what am i going to do i have been around people all mm -hmm. my life so when i will be alone in my room what would i be doing i'd be getting bored but i was uh, quite surprised and it came as a shock when i actually started enjoying it i did not have anybody to tell me okay let's finish dinner soon now let's get out go here or do this or do that when you're by yourself you uh, and you start uh, learning things about yourself you start knowing yourself better mm -hmm. uh, and you don't have to depend on anybody okay so you can uh, start doing things on your own by your own at your own pace and after four years right. of <laughs> after four years of solo travel i really do not uh, prefer traveling with people it's only it only has to be family or uh, family or my husband i really uh, do not prefer traveling and people telling or me all the time okay i want to go uh, to this place so you have to be more accommodative of the other person and i <laughs> i somehow can't do that so yeah I uh, so I guess when you come back you know you, you it must be a bit difficult to adjust to other people trying to maybe sometimes push you around right I mean it's it's not as easy then right when you come back from just you know like a solo expedition making your own decisions uh doing things at your own pace I guess that doesn't fit that well into this Indian uh concept of let's say all sitting in in in, in one bed watching television or eating curry on on the same mat for example right I mean that does doesn't actually fit into that that identity does it No it doesn't it definitely takes some time for you to come back mm -hmm. to that uh, uh thing again but i've been uh, very lucky my husband is very supportive of my mm -hmm. uh, solo travels and he's like uh, when you learn doing things on your own you get better you become a better person and uh, being in teaching has tired me so much over the years that i definitely need a 15 day break where there's nobody i just need peace right exactly <laughs> all by myself <laughs> exactly because it's 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 it takes you know such a heavy toll on you emotionally and personally it's very taxing right so 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 then also hanging you know hanging out with other people still it feels like i don't know you've got more kids around right so so you do need that actually it's like yeah. a real need that, that that has to be satisfied. I, I I guess more teachers should should be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That that again depends on uh, some people love traveling in groups where they can travel with yeah. their friends and talk all day. But I'm not such a person. I talk a lot in the classroom. But when I'm by myself, I would just sit uh, quietly beside a river and maybe watch it flow. Or maybe I do love adventure sports. 
So uh, last year when I went to Dubai, I did try uh, skydiving. That was on my to-do list uh, for almost uh, seven years. And when I finally jumped off the plane uh, for 14,000 feet, Whoa. I felt like, <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> come on, I did this. I've been dreaming about this for a while now. And uh, I did this. And then I tried paragliding. And Maybe I believe when I go with family, they end up telling you, no, 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 don't do this. It, it, it's yeah, it's be too dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Too dangerous. You exactly. cannot do this. And when I'm going alone is when I'm trying all the weird stuff that I cannot try with family. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, right. not there, they're not there to see what I'm doing. And after I finish the activity, I send them a photo. Okay, look, I tried this. And then they're kilometers away. They really can't do much <laughs> about it. <laughs> so, Very yeah. good. Very good. Okay, Samia, thank you very much. Uh, I think we've covered all the bases. So, uh, uh, you know, we've got something to think about with Mikhail, I think, right? Thank yes, you. Thank you and we are going to be very happy to see you next time. Sure. We're going to schedule. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you very so much. Patiently. Yeah, bye. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye.